Welcome to Her Story, a retelling of the biblical narratives featuring women in Scripture with Joanne Guarnieri Hagemeyer, Grace and Peace Joanne. Imagine meeting someone at the mall, and you go and get them something from the food court, and when you come back, you watch them fall to their knees and present you with thick gold bracelets and a nose ring. Well, it wasn't exactly like that, but pretty close. Here's the account of Isaac's wife, Rebecca, in the time of the matriarchs. Each story in this series was originally produced as a YouTube presentation. Links to YouTube, to Grace and Peace Joanne blog posts, and to the books I've written are all provided below. we would like to think, because this is what our culture tells us is the most valued, that we make rational decisions based on the logical analysis of data, of facts. But the truth is, we far more often make decisions that have an emotional and relational motivation. And when that decision emerges, our rational intellect has two choices, veto or agree with explanation. Even more fundamentally, we are spiritual beings, and the divine power of the Spirit is at work among all people. As our spirits are stirred, so our hearts are stirred. From our perspective, we are freely choosing what our hearts desire, what we will. From the divine perspective, God's purposes are at work. So we come to the many decisions, moral choices, and actions of Rebecca, a relative of Abraham, and worshiper of God Most High beginning with her courage and leaving her homeland to marry a man she never met. You and I also know her willingness was God's answer to the prayer of Abraham's servant. So you see, from her perspective, she was choosing her heart's desire, what she willed. But from the divine perspective, God's purposes were also at work. And like every marriage, there was sweet and there was sour. Isaac loved Rebecca, and there is every indication she loved him too. Isaac was utterly devastated by his mother's death, so he received his new wife in his mother Sarah's tent, and Rebecca's love consoled his aching heart. Though he was a very wealthy man, there is no indication he took on other wives or even concubines all those first 20 years when Rebecca had no children. Like his father Abraham, Isaac faithfully and loyally loved the wife of his youth. Eventually, rather than try other avenues, Isaac finally interceded for his wife and God granted his heartfelt prayer. However, also like his father, Isaac's concern for himself was far stronger than his sense of protection for his wife. He knew God's promises would be fulfilled through him, but it seems he did not carry that same conviction for Rebecca. It seems Isaac's lack of respect and honor for Rebecca, his seeming indifference to her place as his wife, and his willingness to place her in harm's way deeply affected her. His life story reveals Isaac as a non-confrontational and easily maneuvered person. So trust eroded in their relationship, and it seems so did meaningful communication. Nevertheless, their relationship experienced something of a revival when Rebecca found herself pregnant towards the end of her fertile years. 
she would have no more children after this. And it seems early in her pregnancy, Rebecca began to experience a level of pain and upheaval within her that no one could explain. So, as the text says, she went to inquire of the Lord. So what did that inquiry entail? From early narratives in Genesis, so notably Abel, Noah, which is the illustration you see here, Abraham, and Isaac, it seems likely Isaac and Rebecca went together to the altar Isaac had built. They offered up sacrifices and then prayed. Undoubtedly, they received together God's startling response to Rebecca's concern. And the Lord said to her, Two nations are in your womb, and two peoples born of you shall be divided. The one shall be stronger than the other. The elder shall serve the younger. So here's what Rebecca found out. She was carrying not one, but two babies, two men who would found two nations. And we've come to know those nations as Israel and Edom. These two nations would be entirely unlike. Eventually, Edom adopted other gods, and only the Hebrew people would worship the one true God. One nation would be stronger than the other. Thousands of years later, Israel would influence the entire world. Edom would disappear. The older brother would serve the younger. Jacob would become the head of the household. In his letter, thousands of years later, to the Christians in Rome, the Apostle Paul used this very story to explain God's sovereign choice, God's election. It appears God deliberately chose Jacob, who was not the firstborn, to show there was nothing deserving of God's choosing that either one of them could claim. It was not on the basis of God's foreknowledge of what either of them would do, or choose, or even become. It was not a question of character, or good record, or even outstanding deeds. Here's how Paul worded it. Even before they had been born, or had done anything good or bad, so that God's purpose of election might continue, not by works, but by God's call, Rebekah was told, The elder shall serve the younger. As it is written, I have loved Jacob, but I have hated Esau. What then are we to say? Is there injustice on God's part? By no means. For God says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy. I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So, it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who shows mercy. So then God has mercy on whomever God chooses, and God hardens the heart of whomever God chooses. Paul pointed out that God chose Jacob and not Esau, before either boy had ever even been born, had ever had a chance to distinguish himself or make his own choices. So, whether by their natures or by their upbringing and the influences in their lives, Esau grew up to be a man who valued the world around him, creature comforts, the here and now. And he showed little regard for spiritual matters, for eternity, or even Almighty God. Whereas Jacob grew up to highly value God's promises, and he longed more than anything to be included as God's man. But we also see that along with God's sovereignty are humankind's desires and choices. Every person is responsible for their own decisions and their own actions. God's prophecy 
was not the cause of Esau's indifference to his birthright and to God. That responsibility rests on Esau. Every person has the freedom to make moral choices, and Esau made his. Esau seems not to have believed his birthright or God's word had very much value. Esau also seemed to believe his father would give him anything he wanted. It is a problem, though, isn't it, to think about God choosing or electing to save some and not others. And that's when we fall back on what we know of God and God's character. God is absolute holiness. God's character is about absolute impartiality, justice tempered with mercy, and goodness flowing from love. All this guarantees that God's choices are never arbitrary, never capricious, but always good. When Jesus presented himself to the people, he said, Come to me, all you that are weary and are carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. That's a genuine invitation. Jesus also said, All who the Father gives to me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will never drive away. That, too, is an authentic invitation and promise. Then to the person who receives Jesus, he says, I always knew you. I chose you since before the creation of the world. Here's how the Apostle Paul said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms. Just as he chose us in Christ, before the foundation of the world, to be holy and blameless before him in love. He destined us for adoption as his children through Jesus Christ, according to the pleasure of his goodwill, to the praise of his glorious grace that he freely bestowed on us in the beloved. These words are meant to us as comfort and courage, especially when you and I hit bottom and we're wondering if God is ever going to have anything more to do with us. God will, because God has always loved us. God has always meant us to be with God, and God's purposes in our lives simply will move forward. God has a purpose and plan for everyone. In terms of Esau and Jacob, both had destinies, and both of those destinies could have been with the Lord. One to found a God-fearing nation to worship and serve God and bless the earth, and the other to found a God-fearing nation to worship and serve God and bless the earth and one day bring forth Messiah. But Esau ultimately chose another trajectory. And so now let's think about the twins' personality and the parents' partiality. Esau means red. Even as a baby, Esau was a standout. He looked like a little wild man, red and hairy and robust. And he grew up tall and good-looking and skilled. He became an outdoors man, ranging out into the open fields. He liked to hunt. He was an easygoing kind of guy, a very sensual man. He didn't care much about abstract ideas or spiritual things. He was a man of lusty appetites. He liked his food and he liked his women. Now, evidently, Esau was also very much pampered by his father. Isaac did let his son have whatever he wanted, even if it revealed a carelessness about God's word and created tension in their family tents. Jacob, on the other hand, 
means supplanter or one who undermines. But there's actually a play on words here because in the Hebrew, it could indicate that Jacob showed very early signs of exceptional intelligence, which served him throughout his life. We might have even called him a gifted and talented child. Jacob was also described as plain, which probably meant quiet and gentle. He liked to be near his home. He enjoyed quiet occupations like shepherding and learning how to cook with his mother. A deeply loving and affectionate man, he was faithful to his work and faithful to the people he loved. Even though he was a quiet person, he was passionate about whatever he did. He worked hard, enduring every hardship to complete what he gave his word he would do. He never once complained against God or the people who did him wrong. He just put his shoulder to the load and did what it took to make it right, trusting that God would bless. And this was Rebekah's favorite son. Jacob knew from the start that Esau did not care about his birthright. Think how frustrating it must have been for Jacob that what he treasured with his whole heart and longed to have belonged by culture and tradition to the person who just happened to be born first and who despised it. And you know, the birthright did come with several benefits. For one thing, you got a double portion of the father's wealth. And you were appointed as the head of the extended family, the clan, really. That's what it meant to be a patriarch. You also got title to the land of promise. And finally, God's promise of blessing to the whole earth through Messiah. But here's where it gets murky. Jacob knew that God had given God's word. The older would serve the younger. Jacob had by now responded to God believed in God's word and was ready to serve God and receive God's promises. Yet, Jacob mistakenly thought he had to do the work of securing his relationship with God first by obtaining Esau's birthright. Rebekah found herself worried that God's promise might be taken away from her favorite son. Isaac placed her in jeopardy before now he was jeopardizing God's promise to her beloved boy. Rather than trust that God was more powerful and that God was sovereign, that God would keep God's promise, Rebecca felt she had to protect Jacob's interests. She would need to facilitate God's prophecy over her sons. Isaac, all these years, had harbored in his heart a special affection for Esau that overrode his otherwise reverent attitude of trusting faith towards God. Maybe he saw in this hearty man's man the qualities he wished he had himself. In any case, Isaac wanted Esau to have the blessing. And so he must have rationalized that regardless of Esau's faults and failings, regardless of God's prophecy, regardless of Esau's obvious scorn towards his birthright, his oldest son, should be made head of the family. He should receive his double portion and he should carry on with the Abrahamic blessing because he was the firstborn. Now, Isaac also seems to have thought that it was his prerogative to pass on the patriarchal blessing to whomever he wished, that he could undo God's prophecy and God would simply have to accept that. And finally, 
Esau, in agreeing to the plan, revealed that he really was not a man of his word, and that he didn't think very much of breaking his own oath. Now, Isaac tried to further his own interests through cunning and deceit. But here's where we see the purposes of God, the divine perspective at work. God had given Isaac a wife who was a lot more skillful at manipulation than he was. Just as secretly, Rebecca had been listening in, out of sight, as Isaac instructed Esau. Rebecca wanted God's will. Remember the story of her marriage to Isaac. She had considerable faith. She was willing to risk all to be in God's will. She was a woman of strength, of stamina, of grace and hospitality, of courage and single-heartedness. But she used unworthy methods in the practical matters of her life. She had a just cause, but she made no approach to God or even to her husband. Instead, she relied on her own considerable ingenuity and energy. And this is a place you and I can get to without even realizing it. When we're convinced, deep down, that others are more powerful than God. Now, God gave her an early signal that God was there to protect her and that God's purpose in her life would move forward. Because when Isaac asked her to pretend she was his sister, he got found out in his deception. Before any man could take her as his own, the king of that region called Isaac to account, and Rebekah was made safe. But she missed it somehow. And often you and I can also miss the signals that God gives us, that God is there, God is at work, and God's purposes will move forward if only we will trust God. What might have happened if Rebecca had spoken honestly and openly with her husband that what he was planning to do was wrong, in direct contradiction to God's spoken word and God's revealed will? In fact, Rebecca and Jacob could have gone together and then trusted God with the outcome, or even asked Isaac, let's go to the altar, let's offer sacrifices, let's inquire of God again. You see, a high view of God puts life in proper perspective. Isaac thought the blessing and birthright were his to give, low view of God. Esau agreed. And like Esau and Isaac, when might you and I try to justify our actions by thinking, well, it's God's will? When we pray about something, what are we looking for? God's approval of what we would like or God's counsel? even if that would change our course. Or, like Rebecca and Jacob, when do you and I take matters into our own hands because we doubt God in some way, low view of God, or fear God will not do right by us and ours? Rebecca had also bought into the untruth that Isaac really could overturn God's will. Jacob's objections to Rebecca's plan revealed that he also believed in Isaac's power. He didn't want to get caught out because then he might be cursed instead of blessed and that somehow Isaac's curses would override God's blessing and prophecy. Jacob considered his mother's plan from the vantage point of practicality, but not from the biblical perspective of principle. He worried about whether the plan would work out, but not if it was right. He agonized over the consequences of the plan if it failed but not the morality of such a plan in the first place. And so let's talk about duplicity's price and faith's prize. 
the price tag for Rebekah's deceit was steep. Isaac's prophecy over Esau would be fulfilled in the fierce enmity that arose between the people of Israel and the people of Edom. In fact, the last recorded Edomite king was Herod. Herod the Great, who put all the baby boys in Bethlehem to the sword, trying to eliminate the newborn Messiah, whom he saw as a threat to his throne. When Esau came staggering out of his father's tent, he was screaming invectives, and he was promising to hunt down and kill his brother Jacob. So in one final act of masterful manipulation, Rebekah managed to maneuver Isaac into sending Jacob running off to his uncle Laban in search of a proper wife. Duly chastened, Isaac now settled the authentic Abrahamic blessing on the rightful son, the blessing God had given to Abraham and then to Isaac, and now passed down from Isaac to Jacob. May God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and numerous, that you may become a company of peoples. May he give to you the blessing of Abraham, to you and to your offspring with you, so that you may take possession of the land where you now live as an alien, land that God gave to Abraham. Rebekah loved Jacob more than life itself, and seemingly even more than Isaac. She sought Jacob's success, which was also the revealed will of God, at any price, even deception and lies. But the price she ultimately paid was separation from her beloved son. She never saw him again for the rest of her life. Wrongdoing has consequences, even for those who put their faith in God. Ultimately, though Rebecca paid dearly for the way she fought for fulfillment of God's promises, she held steady as a woman of faith. Far more than Isaac, it was Rebecca who believed God and desired God's will as well as God's promises and covenant. Her desire, her will, was also God's purposes at work. By God's election, Isaac received a wife who would ensure the right inheritance for God's chosen patriarch. By God's election, the second born did receive the birthright and the Abrahamic blessing, in spite of Isaac and Esau's direct assault on God's word. And Rebekah's prize? She was buried with the matriarchs and patriarchs to be remembered to this day as one of the mighty women of God. How did Leah become a woman of such great faith? Through lots and lots of suffering, it turns out and the legacy she's left us still has enormous impact. Listen in to Leah's story in the next podcast from the time of the matriarchs.